Uh, We are dealing with one of the most famous stories in the Bible today, the story of David and uh, Goliath. Uh, Whether a person is a Christian or not, almost everyone knows about David and Goliath. Uh, The story is referenced almost any time there is an underdog situation in sports or in politics or in business. Uh, You know, like when Michigan's playing Ohio State, they, you know, reference David and Goliath and Ohio State's Goliath and Michigan's David. Stuff like that is how it gets used. Uh, The story is found in the 17th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter today. I'll just read certain verses when I uh, come to that part of the story. But if you have not read the story ever, or if you haven't read it in a while, uh, I would encourage you to pull out uh, 1 Samuel 17 this week and uh, read through that story. It uh, it really is uh, very interesting, and I'd love to go into it in much more detail than I am today, but I won't be able to do that. So here's a brief overview of what you'll find if uh, you read 1 Samuel 17. Uh, Israel was again in conflict with their frequent adversary, uh, the Philistines. Uh, Israel was led at this time by King Saul, and the armies of the Israelites and the armies of the Philistines were camped on opposite sides of a valley. The Philistines had a champion named Goliath who would come out into the valley between the two armies and he would challenge the Israelites in a very specific way. And we're told about that in 1 Samuel 17, uh, 8 through 11. And here's what we find. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. What Goliath was challenging Israel to here is what's called single combat. It's where each army would put forward their best champion. And those two champions would fight against each other with victory for the armies being determined by this uh, single combat, by these two champions and who prevailed in their fight. And as we read in the text, when Goliath issued this challenge, the Israelites were very afraid and no one was willing to go and fight against uh, Goliath. This might be because of information that we learn a few verses before where we read. We're told in scripture that Goliath was approximately nine feet, nine inches tall. He carried armor that weighed 125 pounds His spear was so large that the iron point of the spear itself weighed 15 pounds. And so this fearsome man would come out into the valley and he would issue this challenge day after day after day. He did it for 40 days. And for 40 days, no one was willing to go and fight Goliath. Then one day, A man named Jesse, who had some sons that were in Saul's army, sent his youngest son, David, down to the battle line to take some food to his brothers and and, uh, help to sustain them as they were 
uh, serving in Saul's army. And while David was there, Goliath came out. He issued this challenge again. And David not only saw Goliath's challenge, but he witnessed the fear of the men in the army. And David was kind of perplexed by this. He started asking some questions, started inquiring about some things, and this angered his oldest brother Eliab. Uh, But David wasn't uh, dissuaded. He he wasn't turned aside. He persisted in, in questioning why no one was going to fight Goliath. His questions were not questions filled with fear. And so they came to the attention of King Saul, who eventually sent for David. And when David came before Saul, here's what he said to him in verse 32. Imagine this, okay? David is probably about 17 at the time. He is a shepherd. He's not a fighting man. And he announces this to King Saul. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, I, will go and fight him. Saul objects. I mean, why wouldn't he? he? He has tough fighters. This is a young man. This is a shepherd boy. And so David tells Saul some stories. He recounts for him that while he was tending his sheep, there were times when a lion and a bear would come and carry off one of the sheep. And what David would do is he would go and he would rescue the sheep from the the jaw of the lion or the bear. And then the animals would turn against him. And when they would turn against him, he tells how he would grab them by the hair, how he would strike them and he would kill them. And so David told Saul in verse 36, this Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Saul finally agrees. <laughs> I mean, what's he going to do? No one else wants to fight, so, so somebody has to go fight. So he agrees to let David fight Goliath. And then we read about how Saul tries to outfit uh, David in his own armor. He tries to put his armor, his heavy weaponry, he tries to get David to use those things. David tries them out. He says, Saul, I just cannot fight with these things. These just won't work for me. Instead, what David proposes and what he eventually does is that he goes out to fight Goliath with a shepherd's staff, five smooth stones, and a sling. So David goes down into the valley and goes to fight Goliath. And as he approaches, the Philistine champion Goliath is insulted that they've sent David to fight him. And so Goliath said to David, this is in verse 43, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And then David responded to Goliath with one of the most faith-filled statements that you'll ever hear. When I was about five years old, I had this memorized, but the mind is more feeble these days, so I will read it. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. 
All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. What amazing faith. Isn't that amazing faith? And so Goliath isn't uh, scared off by this faith-filled statement, and so he moves closer to attack David. David then runs toward Goliath. He reaches into his bag, he takes out a stone, he places it in the sling, he launched the stone toward Goliath, the stone struck Goliath in the middle of the forehead, sank into his forehead, crushing his skull, and Goliath fell face down on the ground. Verse 50 says, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And then David takes out Goliath's own sword and cuts off Goliath's head. When the Philistine army sees this, they turn and they run. The Israelite army sees that David has defeated, has killed Goliath. They see the Philistines fleeing and emboldened by all of this, they now pursue the demoralized Philistines killed them and plundered their camp and Israel was victorious because an unlikely champion had a great victory. That's the story. What an amazing story. I mean, that is an epic, epic story. It's a familiar story. And there are familiar lessons that we draw from this story, which are very good lessons. Lessons that we can apply to our own lives when we face giants in our lives. Not not literal giants, but problems that loom large in our lives. You know, most of the familiar stories that, uh, familiar lessons that we learn from this story stem from the underdog nature of David's confrontation with Goliath. And so we learn things like this. We learn that it's good to be intolerant of things that set themselves in defiance of God. Only David among the Israelites was incensed that Goliath would have the audacity to defy the armies of God, actually the audacity to defy God. And that's a great attitude for us to emulate. You know, when confronted with God-defying giants in our own lives, it's good for us to follow David's example and have an attitude that says, who does this problem think it is? And then run to the battle full of faith. We learn from this story that when we're confronted with giants in our lives, it's good to ignore the fretting of the naysayers. There's always going to be someone in your life who says you can't overcome this obstacle. You can't overcome this difficulty. You just can't overcome this giant. And it's good to emulate David and not let the naysayers determine your willingness to engage in the battle. And so rather than fretting and shrinking back because someone else lacks faith, it's better to ignore the naysayers and do what God says that you can do. We learn that when we're confronted with giants in our lives, it's good to remember the ways that God has delivered us in the past. This builds our faith for what God can do in the new challenge. 
When confronted with Goliath, David remembered that God had delivered him from the lion and the bear. And so his faith was high that God could deliver him from this new threat, this this giant of a man named Goliath. When we remember the ways that God has shown himself strong on our behalf in the past, it increases our faith for the current challenge. We learn from the example of David that God is deserving of our being confident that he is greater than any enemy that ever confronts us. And we learn that when we're threatened by enemies, God himself fights on our behalf. Even as David ran to fight Goliath, he said in verse 47, the battle is the Lord's. He had picked out the weapons he was comfortable with. He was physically running to confront Goliath. And yet he had the realization this battle really is the Lord's. So these and other similar lessons are often what we take from this story of David and Goliath. They're almost always derived from David's underdog status in the story. He's young, he's a shepherd. Goliath's a seasoned warrior, he's a giant. Goliath has all kinds of armor and weaponry. David simply has a sling. These are good lessons. And I don't want you to understand me saying anything different. These are good lessons. I would never suggest they're not right lessons for us to take from the story. I've preached these lessons. I think they are good and right lessons to take from this story. That said, today I want to take a fresh look at this familiar story. There is another way of looking at the story. Malcolm Gladwell in his book, and I have it here to, uh, to show you, this book here, it's called David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. Uh, in this book, and also in a TED Talk that he gave, He questions whether David was really the underdog in this confrontation with Goliath. Now, I'll tell you at the outset, I'm not convinced of everything that Gladwell suggests, and I think he tries to press too much out of some of the details of the story, but I do think that he gives us some things that are at least worth considering, that are worth thinking about. Gladwell first questions the notion that all David had was a sling, as if that was some type of big disadvantage. He notes that in ancient warfare, there were three kinds of warriors. There was the cavalry, horses and chariots, the heavy infantry, which was the armed foot soldiers, and the artillery, which included archers and slingers. And he notes that the slingers were actually highly effective killers. A sling is a leather pouch with two long cords uh, attached to it. I think we have a picture of that. That's the best picture I could find. Uh, so, So that's what a sling looks like. You know, it's not the little ping, ping, ping thing. I mean, it's a, it's a real weapon. That's, that's what it looks like. They put a projectile in the pouch, uh, a stone or lead ball usually in the pouch. They would twirl it around and they would hurl the projectile toward the target. Now, we don't have a picture of David doing this or a video of David doing it, but I do have a video I want to show you of someone slinging. Watch, Watch this. 
So there you go. A little, little different than ping, ping, isn't it? It looks like an actual weapon. Gladwell says that when the projectile was released, it was likely traveling 115 feet per second. He also notes that the stones where David and Goliath were are not normal rocks. They are barium sulfate, which have twice the density of a normal rock. He claims that if you do the calculations on the ballistics, the stopping power of David's sling and stone would be roughly equivalent to a 45 caliber handgun. Effective slingers could hit birds in flight at 200 yards. David is much closer than 200 yards by this point. He's actually quite close to Goliath, but not close enough for Goliath to have the advantage. Slingers were often the decisive factor against infantry. And that's what Goliath was. He was heavy infantry. When he challenges David, he challenges him to come to me. Goliath is expecting hand-to-hand combat. Those are the terms that he's expecting to fight. He's expecting to fight in the area of his strength. But David has no intention of fighting to the strengths of Goliath. He's going to fight in the way he knows how to fight, which is why he declined Saul's armor and weapons. Gladwell even engages in some speculation about Goliath's eyesight. I think he gets a little too speculative here, perhaps, but it's interesting. He he notes that David has a single shepherd's staff, and yet Goliath taunts him with coming to fight with sticks. He questions whether Goliath might have been disadvantaged by poor eyesight, even more needing someone to be in close proximity to have any chance of winning the fight. Whether accurate or not, the point he's making is that Goliath needed the fight to be hand-to-hand combat, and David was not going to fight on Goliath's terms. Goliath was imposing because of how he looked, And because if you fought on his own terms, if you fought on his terms, you were going to be at a huge disadvantage. But someone who thought about the giant differently, someone who realized his vulnerabilities, someone who refused the temptation to accept his terms for the fight, but instead would fight on their own terms, that person wouldn't actually be the underdog, according to Gladwell. That person would have the advantage and that person would be the greater champion. Now, it doesn't matter much to me if you think Gladwell is right about this or not. I shared it primarily because I thought it was interesting, and I shared it to make this point. Sometimes we need to look at a familiar story with fresh eyes and consider if there might be more there than what we first thought. And you don't have to read Gladwell's book to consider that there might be another way of looking at the story of David and Goliath differently than the way that we often look at it. You see, many students of Scripture believe that this story, while it is rooted in an actual historical event with familiar lessons that are valid, they believe that nevertheless, this story points to something greater. They believe that the story is one of many in the Old Testament that points forward to another time and another champion. 
Note that David and Goliath engaged in single combat. This was not army against army. This was warrior against warrior. It was not until David killed Goliath that the armies of Israel rose up and routed the Philistines. Note from our story that Goliath taunted and tested Israel for 40 days. Can you think of any other interaction between contestants in single combat that lasted for 40 days? I will help you. Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus versus Satan, a single combat showdown. Satan tempted Jesus with things that he had always been able to defeat every other person on the planet with. But Jesus was a different foe than Satan had ever come up against. Jesus fought in a very different way than any other human had ever tried to fight against Satan's plans. He never succumbed to Satan's temptations. The stone David slung at Goliath crushed his head And we know that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy given at the occasion of the first occurrence of sin that a champion would arise who would crush Satan's head. Jesus did this through the cross. Many students of the Bible see this story as more than simply the story of an underdog. What they see in this story is a type of Christ, an Old Testament story that gives us a picture of of Jesus, they see a type of Christ. They see the story of David and Goliath, a true story, a historical occurrence, nevertheless pointing forward to something greater. When we consider this story, what we almost always do is place ourselves in the role of David confronting a giant. But if David is a type of Christ, then we have to be someone else in the story. We aren't David if he's a type of Christ. Christ is. If we're not David, then who are we? In this way of looking at the story, we're the armies of Israel. We're confronted by an enemy that's too powerful for us. We're unable to find the courage to fight our enemy. We are terrified of the enemy that taunts us from the valley. Who we are in the story, and this way of looking at it, are those who stand in need of a champion who will go down and fight for us and do what we cannot do, which is take on the enemy. The familiar lessons from this story are good. But if we're meant to see David as a type of Christ, then perhaps there are even better lessons from the story than those that we usually give attention to. I like the lessons that we find when we imagine ourselves in the role of David. I think they're valid lessons to take from the story. But I think the lessons are even better when we see David as a type of Christ. With this approach, with us in the role of the Israelite army afraid to fight the Philistine champion, we rightly see ourselves as those needing a champion and someone who can save us from our enemy. 
Let's be honest about some things. With the greatest enemy in our lives, we're not like David. We are not eager to run into the valley and take on our enemies. The reality is we're much more like Saul's army. We're terrified to confront the enemies that threaten us, and we are powerless to stand against those enemies. Our greatest enemies are sin, death, and the devil. Sin has defeated us time and time again. We are not eager for that fight. We need a champion to fight that enemy. We're no match for the evil one. I mean, we laugh about, oh, he's just like a roaring lion. He's not really a roaring lion. <laughs> silly, silly Satan thinks he's a lion. If any of us came in direct contact with the power of Satan, most of us would be just terrified. A few of us would say, get out in the name of Jesus, and he would leave. Some of us might say, get out in the name of Jesus, and he'd say, excuse me, who are you? But, but I think most of us would be somewhat, uh, somewhat terrified. We, we would understand that in our own strength, we're no match for the enemy. Most of the people that I've known who have engaged in... Um, you know, some type of prayer ministry, deliverance ministry, where they, uh, deliverance ministry where they engage the demonic, uh, even if they were victorious in that battle, they came away with a great respect for the power uh, of the evil one. And so we can laugh about, you know, he's just like a lion, he's not really one, but this is a powerful foe. We are, we are not up for that fight. We're no match for the evil one. We need a champion to defeat the evil one on our behalf. We cower in fear in the face of our enemy death. We go to the doctor twice a year. We try to eat better and exercise. We avoid unnecessary risk. We look both ways before crossing the road. Why do we do all these things? We want to avoid death. Many of us can't even contemplate our own mortality without becoming fearful, getting discouraged, and doing something, anything to distract us from the thought of our mortality. We're terrified. Just like the Israelite army was terrified of Goliath. We are not, in reality, the champions of the story. We're the people needing a champion. And that's who Jesus is. He's the greater David, who defeats sin, death, and Satan himself, and wins the victory for us. David faced off against Goliath alone. Jesus alone has defeated sin, death, and Satan. When we get free from fear of those things, if we even get to the place where we can engage the demonic and, and cast out a demon, we didn't actually do that. We didn't do that. God did that. He's the greater David who's defeated the greater enemy. He has secured victory for us entirely on his own. We do not defeat our enemies. He defeats them for us. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. Verse 51. 
David ran and stood over Goliath. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then, then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shurim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they then plundered their camp. When instead of seeing ourselves in the role of David, we see David as a type of Christ, we discover something that's very important. We discover that we join the fight with the victory already won. Do you realize that every single one of us here today, if we are followers of Jesus, no longer how, uh, no matter how long we've been Christians, no matter how many battles we've been through, no matter the difficulties that we have gone through in our lives, all of the fighting that we have done, all of the fighting we are doing, all of the fighting we will do in the future, it is all within the context of Christ having already secured the victory. We're fighting as victors. It doesn't always feel that way. But that's the truth. When the Israelites pursued the Philistines, I have no doubt that there was still some difficult fighting that occurred. Individual Philistines that were caught probably put up a bit of a fight. Scripture doesn't tell us, but I'm guessing there may have even still been a few Israelites that lost their lives in in, in the skirmishes as they pursued the Philistines. There were still some difficult things to go through, but the victory was already won. Jerry Vines gives us a good statement to, to summarize this. He says, we don't fight for victory. In the Christian life, we fight from victory. What a great thought. Everything that we do is in the context of victory already won. Won by our champion, Jesus Christ. And so today, here's what I'm suggesting. I don't want us to throw out the familiar lessons that we've taken from this story. I I think they're valid. I think we embrace both approaches to this story. I think we take those lessons from seeing ourselves in the role of David. I think those familiar, familiar lessons are good. But I think that when we see David as a type of Christ, the lessons are even better. We need a champion who will deliver us from our enemy. We're not up to that ourselves. And Jesus is that champion. He is the greater David who defeats sin, death, and the devil and gives us the victory. I think it's important for us to learn this greater lesson that all the fights we undertake in the Christian life are all in the context of ultimate victory already secured for us. Sin, death, and the devil are defeated by Jesus, our champion, 
our Savior, our King. Christian, every battle that you fight, every skirmish you go through, it between now and eternity, everything you go through, it's all in the context of the battle already being won. I think if we will believe that, if we'll embrace that, if we'll remember that, it can radically change our outlook on life. It can fill us with joy, even when life is difficult. And it will encourage us to keep going through pain and trouble and trials because we know that the outcome is secure. It's settled. It's done. The victory is won. Are you thankful for that? Amen. Amen. Let's stand.